0: Hello and welcome to Scaled Up, a bi-weekly podcast about growth. This is a show where we talk to owners and business leaders about how they scaled up their businesses and the lessons, tactics, and strategies that can help you do the same. Before we get into this week's podcast, we wanted to remind you to head on over to SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher to subscribe to Scaled Up so you get notified every time episodes go live. This podcast is brought to you by Growth Genius and we help you get sales meetings with your ideal customers. So connect with us online on LinkedIn at Growth Genius or on Twitter at Growth underscore Genius. Enjoy the show. episode we're chatting with April Dunford, founder of Ambient Strategy. She has run startups and held executive positions at both smaller and larger B2B companies and has launched a dozen products into market and has driven hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue growth. She's also a positioning expert and I'm very excited to be chatting with her about what positioning entails and why it is so critical to your startup success.
1: So first of all, welcome April, welcome to the show. This is our new podcast. Yay, I'm, <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> and I've interviewed April in other podcasts and other contacts, so I'm really excited to chat with her more about the differences between marketing positioning and sales positioning and how a company can successfully um, go on that positioning journey and emerge on the other side. And I love this thing that April says, that marketing is polishing a turd. And positioning is turning that turd into a fertilizer. So welcome, <laughs> April.
2: Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, I mean, just to be clear, marketing's not always polishing <laughs> the turd. But yeah, that uh, you know, the concept of positioning, in my opinion, is confusing. And you might even say that positioning has a positioning problem. So not everybody really understands what positioning is, even though it's not a new concept, it's an old concept, we've been talking about it since the 80s. In my opinion, positioning is really about defining what you are and why is that important to a particular segment of customers. And so it isn't the same thing as branding, it isn't the same thing as messaging, it's it's different than all those things and it certainly is an equivalent to marketing. Usually when we think about marketing like what marketing does is you say look this thing is an apple. Go market apples. And you'll say okay I'm trying to make it the best possible apple it can be. Positioning is about saying well I don't know maybe it's an apple, maybe it's a delicious apple, maybe it's lunch, maybe it's something else, and so the decision of how you're going to position an offering is a very strategic decision, where you're making some decisions about what market are we going to win, uh, and why.
1: So for myself, I have been using your teachings, and and learning from that, and April has a website. It's (laughs) still updated, but
2: you know what, I've been writing a book, and so... It, since I've been in the writing phase of writing this book, I've stopped blogging, and you know what's going to happen is I'm in the final stages of editing this book, and once I've done that editing, there is going to be a tsunami of blogging, like be prepared, it's all going to come pouring out of me, because right now all my writing effort has been focused on writing the book, but yeah. So, yeah, there's a website with some, you know, elderly blog posts on there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So it's aprildunford.com, and if you go on there, you'll see a bunch of posts that are super, super helpful and useful to guide you through the positioning process. And we were hoping that in chatting with April here today, we could go through some of the key steps on what positioning entails and perhaps take you guys through a case study on how positioning can be done in a manner that any company of any size can take those learnings and apply
2: them today. Right. You know, so
1: the reason I'm
2: writing a book right now and why I think there deserves to be a new book on positioning is because we have been taught uh, what positioning is, but we've never really been taught how to do it. So if you are working at a startup or even at a bigger company and you suspect you may have a positioning problem and you decide gee i'm gonna sit down and really think about and and deliberately position this product i'm not sure there is a an agreed upon set of steps to go do that and so in my career i've repositioned a couple dozen products as an employee, now I'm a consultant and I work with companies that are looking to do repositioning things and I've worked with a few dozen companies in that capacity. So I feel like I'm pretty qualified to figure out a methodology for this. So I've been working on it for a couple of years and so now I feel like I have a set of steps. It's fairly easy and I could walk you through them right now. So the first thing is that If you think about a market position, we can almost break it up into component pieces. So a lot of people were taught how to do positioning by writing a positioning statement, which is this kind of fill-in-the-blanks exercise that says we are a blank, and the blank is the market category for blank, and then you say who your target customers are, that delivers blank, and you talk about the value. The statement itself, I think, is, frankly, bullshit, because... The the, the act of writing down a statement doesn't tell you how to get to the blanks, and it's the blanks that are super important. So if I broke out the components of a position, the first one would be, who are my competitive alternatives? Meaning, if I looked at my best customers, my happiest customers, who do they compare me to? If, If my solution didn't exist, what would they do? And that might be a spreadsheet it might be hiring an intern it might be using another bit of software and then if i look at in the context of these are the comparables what do i have that those comparables don't have what do i have over a spreadsheet you might think your product is easy to use but you know it's really easy to use a spreadsheet's really easy to use <laughs> so maybe easy to use isn't your real differentiator so you think about the features you've got then those features translate into value for customers. So you might say, oh, I've got a 25 megapixel camera. 25 megapixels is a feature. The benefit to customers is that the images look really sharp, even if I zoom in, that's, that's the value. And then you say, okay, well, this is the value we deliver of all the customers on the planet that might want to buy our stuff. Not everybody cares about that value the same. So some people might say, yeah, you know, I kind of like to have sharp pictures when I zoom in. Yeah, that sounds okay. And some people are like, dude, I'm a professional photographer and I need to have the images sharp when I zoom in. Or, you know, whatever it is about their business, they they absolutely have to have it. And so in the last stage, you're doing this segmentation in essence that says, These are the people that care a lot about this value. And this is super important if I'm a startup. I have limited marketing resources. I have limited sales resources. I could go sell to everybody, but what I really want to do is spend my time with the folks that are most likely to buy, will buy quickly, intuitively understand what I do, intuitively feel the pain, that sort of stuff. So then finally, you get to the point where you say, okay, This is what we do. These are the people that really, really care about that. Then the last piece of it is how do I kind of express that in a context that makes your value obvious to the people that care? And so what I mean by that is you might have a product and you might think of it as email because what you developed was email but when I look, do go through this exercise, I might find out that, you know what, we have a few special features and what the special features are is that you get instant delivery and I can tell when the person has read the message and I can tell when the person is online. And when I start describing that, does that really sound like email? It kind of sounds like chat and for the people that are buying it, if you were to ask them, like if you didn't exist, what would they use? They might say I'd use a chat platform. So you know what? Even though you set out to build email, maybe what you've got is chat. And so you need to kind of decide what is the market frame of reference you're going to use that makes the stuff that you're really, really good at obvious to those folks. And that's kind of the last piece of it.
1: And so what are the things you think hinder people from looking at marketing from this perspective or doing this positioning?
2: Yeah so most folks just don't position at all like they kind of have an idea that positioning is a thing but they don't tend to actually consciously do it you know you wake up in the morning and you say okay we're gonna build a database and then they're building a database and then they go to sell it to customers and say hey customer here's my database reality is maybe your set of features make more sense if I call it a data warehouse or a business intelligence tool or whatever. And you know what, you could have a database that fits in all those markets. The first problem that people have is they just fail to position deliberately. They just kind of assume, well, you know, we're in the chair business, we're building chairs, Mm -hmm. right? They come up with a thing and it's like, hey, it's a chair and it doesn't have a back on it. And isn't it cool, it's a backless chair. And you go, no, dude, it's a stool. You're not actually in the chair business anymore.
1: And you have some sort of uh, canvas or a framework that
2: people can use that are easily
1: available on the website?
2: Yeah, so you can go on the website. there's a canvas there. I don't actually think it's all that important how you capture it as long as you capture it somewhere in a way that you can share it with people, which is part of why I hate the idea of a positioning statement. You can write it down, but nobody's gonna memorize it. Nobody's really gonna understand the component pieces. What I like to do is sort of a one pager that kind of says, this is the market we're in. These are our target customers and why. Um, These are our key differentiated points of value that are supported by these features. If you write it down kind of in a canvas style, Then you can show it to a new employee, you can show it to your new sales rep and say, this is what we do, this is what we're selling. Everybody can understand it and share it and use it. The key is that your positioning should be actionable and usable. If it isn't, then nobody's going to pay attention to it.
1: And is positioning an iterative process? Yeah, like a
2: position doesn't last forever. And it is kind of the hard thing about positioning too. You might have beautiful positioning that, that works right now, but... New competitors come into the market. Uh, some competitors shift out of the market. The, the The boundaries of the market itself are constantly shifting. So we have trends that are happening in the market and things that are stretching the market in different directions. And so you may have a positioning that works really well with your customers at a particular point in time, but then oh, geez, now GDPR is a thing and blockchain is a thing or something happens in your market that shifts the way that people think about the market across the board, in which case you need to revisit your positioning. So it's kind of a living thing that changes all the time.
1: Is there a, a prescribed period that positioning will work for or it really depends on the market?
2: I think it depends on the market. I think you have to be aware of things that have the potential to disrupt the way people think about the market um, and the boundaries of the market and when these disruptive things happen I think you need to go back and check in on your positioning so things like that might be there's a change in industry regulation like GDPR is a good one right Um, there's a change in industry regulation that shifts everyone's priorities or it may shift your buyers priorities it may have to shift your positioning Another one is you have a big new competitor gets into the market that wasn't previously there, and that competitor changes changes the way that people think about the market. Um, a third one might be you know a, a stepwise big bang change in technological capability. So you know you see this in, in things that operate wirelessly. I mean, there's just things we can do on a 4G network that were just not possible when it was 3G. And so that changed the way we thought about the market. That changed the boundaries of what we thought were possible. So when big things like this are happening, you have to be on the watch for them. And then when they come, you have to kind of check in and say, does this positioning still work? Is there a chance that maybe it needs to shift? Um, And you need to be constantly on the lookout for things that might actually impact your position. I've had positions that You know, we positioned it one way and it lasted for a decade. A product that I positioned 10 years ago that I checked in on it a couple weeks ago in the course of writing this book, I thought, hey, I wonder if they're still positioning it like that. And, yep, it's pretty much the same positioning, 10 years. Mm -hmm. I have other ones that, you know, we did a positioning, it was really great, it lasted about six or eight months, and then a giant competitor moved into our space and we had to throw all the cards up in the air and start over again. April worked
1: with the City of Toronto late last year. Rhea worked with me, actually. We worked together on this project. I was very fortunate.
2: <laughs> this was so, a, we were the dynamic positioning duo for so, the City of Toronto for a couple months. Let's start
1: with the intention of that project and yeah. what that was and set the context from there.
2: Yeah, so it, so this was an interesting one because normally I work with tech companies, and so but we got approached by someone in the mayor's office that said, Hey, you know, I don't think we do a good job of positioning the city of Toronto as a tech hub. Would you like to do a project where we do that? And that the goal was to basically help the mayor do a better job of positioning tech in Toronto. I thought this was a worthwhile project to do. I brought you in to help me. And we kind of went through exactly the steps that I outlined earlier. So the first thing we looked at was what were the actual competitive comparables? And we were kind of thinking about that in terms of tech talent. So if you were thinking about moving to a city or starting a business in a city and you're in Toronto, do we really compete with the Valley? Do we compete with Vancouver? Do we compete with, who do we compete with? Um, and we put together a list of, a long list of entrepreneurs and we called them on the phone and we asked them, like, did you ever consider doing it somewhere else? And if so, where? And the responses we got were really interesting. One of the most fascinating things was we don't really compete with the Valley. I think people that want to go to the Valley, just go to the Valley. They don't sit around and say, gee, I don't know, maybe the Valley, maybe Toronto. They did like, if you want to go to the Valley, you just go to the Valley. The valley's its own thing. But if for whatever reason you deselect the valley like you say you know what I just don't want to go out there too expensive I like living in whatever your reasons are then you say no I'm not going to go to the valley then our actual competition is other big tech centers in North America that are not the valley so it's and those are New York Boston to a certain extent Chicago and and to a certain extent London and so that's the first thing so then we kind of said, okay, so what do we have that our competitors don't have? So we now got the valley off the table, and we kind of say, what do we got that the other guys don't? And we pulled a bunch of data that from different sources looking at how big is the tech community in Toronto, how fast is it growing, um, how much investment is there, how many scaling tech companies do we have. And what we found out from that was that One, we're quite large in terms of the number of tech jobs. Uh, We rank up there with New York, Boston. We're bigger than Boston. We're bigger than Seattle. We're bigger than a lot of places that you would think uh, We're smaller than us in terms of tech. And then secondly, our growth rate is way higher. So we're actually growing at twice the rate of, of the new jobs added in the Valley and New York combined. So that I thought was a remarkable statistic. Uh, And then we looked at the number of growth stage companies and there were lots of those. We looked at the capital flowing in and there was lots of that. And we kind of got this picture. And so then we kind of said, well, okay, so what's the value if it's me and I'm thinking about starting a company or I'm senior talent, I'm thinking about moving to Toronto to join a company. What's the value we sell you on? And it's really about one, coming into a community that's very big, so there's lots of jobs, there's lots of potential employees, there's a deep talent pool here. Two, it's growing really quickly, so you kind of have the opportunity to get in while things are hot and building and expanding, and, you know, we're not the size of the valley yet, but we're getting very big very quickly. And lastly, there was a little bit of like, yeah, Toronto's a pretty good place to live. Like, there's certainly worse places you could live, and there's this whole sort of quality of life thing, but that was kind of a distant third. Kind of put that all together in a, in a, a context. And in, and in this case, um, you know, we're not really thinking about a market, but I think how you would position Toronto. Up until then, I think we were kind of positioning Toronto as a bit of scrappy, up and coming, trying to be cool. <laughs> and I think after we looked at the data, what we got was, Jeepers already big, already growing really quickly, already cool. We just need to actually educate people on how big and interesting and exciting it is already and have a little bit more swagger when we go out and talk to people about it. So hopefully that
1: served as a case study for our listeners to how to actually execute on positioning itself a little bit
2: yeah it's a bit of you know again a bit of a weird one like i i doubt i'll ever be called upon to position a city again but new york if you're out there you can call me
1: when did you first realize that positioning was so important i
2: don't think i've ever heard that story yeah you know what's funny i my first marketing job right out of university i worked for a company that uh, sold compilers, uh, C compilers, and actually this is how this is how old I am, They're, they, they were actually really famous for their Fortran compiler, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> no it's called Wattcom was the name of the company. So Watt477, I'm not that old, but Watt477 was their glory day product. When I came in they had shifted more to selling C compilers because the Fortran business wasn't that great. And um, we actually had a product that was developed as kind of a one-off thing, but it was developed as um, a relational database with a really small footprint. And and it was the original positioning on it was it was built to be a Microsoft Access competitor. And so back in the day, if you wanted a relational database uh, and you bought something like oracle like you needed big servers to run this thing on it was a pain to install it it used a truckload of memory to run the damn thing and so what we built was this little you know low-footprint database well so the original idea was people would run it as their own little personal database on their desktop that's what we built it for and What actually happened was, all of a sudden, people had laptops, (laughs) so we realized, oh my god, what we actually are is a database for mobile devices, which, you know, mobile devices were just sort of becoming a thing, Um, and so we kind of shifted the positioning from being, we're like Microsoft Access, to saying, we're like Oracle, but for a laptop, and so, we sold to companies like Xerox for example was one of my big clients and the idea was all the salespeople at Xerox couldn't actually process an order while they were on the road face-to-face with a customer they had to go back to the office to do a database sync and log into the database to actually do that and we said oh we have a solution for that we've got an actual SQL database that runs on your laptop that they can you know, connect back to the office and do the order. And that at the time was like revolutionary stuff. <laughs> now wow. it sounds ridiculous. But anyways, that that repositioning caused that product to completely take off. We grew so quickly. We ended up getting acquired by Sybase, which was a big database company. The product was SQL Anywhere and then it was rebranded as iAnywhere and um, that became the fastest-growing product in the whole product line for Sybase for years. And I think at the end, when it eventually got acquired by SAP, it was a billion-dollar business unit, like, from nothing. And and hilariously, that same positioning carried all the way through this idea that we were a database for mobile devices, then became we're a database for and tablets and all kinds of things not just laptops but that positioning carried on for a decade I feel like every time I talk to you
1: I learn something new and now my mind is like you know moving at
2: <laughs> a bajillion
1: miles a minute because I want to take this back and apply yeah, I mean, it to it, what I'm we're doing the
2: stories from the old people yeah
1: back in the day honey, <laughs> <study.
2: laughs> when we couldn't Next for you. Well, so right now I'm really enjoying going really deep on this one subject, which is positioning. Like I don't know how long that's gonna last, but um through the course of writing this book I've had the opportunity to do positioning work with a bunch of companies and that's been really fun. Like at the beginning it was I was mainly doing startups because that's kind of the sweet spot of where I'm from, but I'm now working with some bigger companies that have innovation groups and they're looking at um, positioning new innovative products they're bringing to market in some cases. In other cases, it's they've got a bunch of things going on in innovation and overall it's impacting the overall company positioning, which I think is really fascinating. And so I'm having a good time just going deep on this one subject area. And so... That's what I'm going to do.
1: Thank you so much, April, for that. This was super You're helpful. Welcome. I'm speaking on the behalf of all the listeners who haven't listened to this yet. But That's right. I'm, I'm speaking think at is... the
2: microphone to you, listeners. Yeah,
1: I think this is going to be super, super helpful. So where can people find you apart from the website?
2: I'm um, April Dunford on most um, social media platforms. I'm somewhat active on Twitter. I I also blog on Medium and I have a couple of publications that I blog for there. I haven't been while well, I'm in the writing phase, but trust me, the tsunami of blog posts is coming. And so you can find me on Medium and follow me there so that when the great wave of blog posts comes, you'll be informed.
1: We're gonna link all of that to this podcast so you can find that in the description box below. Thank you so much, April. It's always a pleasure chatting with you.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Scaled Up. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. See you next time.